Welcome to episode 5 of Check the Technique podcast, where I, Pimpernel Jones, interview and showcase my favourite producers about all things technical geeky in the world of music and production. I want to find out the secret source that elevates their production and gets their personal style down. So today's guest hails from the West Country and has been a veteran in UK hip-hop for a long time now. Uh, I think I first heard him uh, when I was a nipper on a HHC CD and... um, it was a creator's mix, and it was dope. But anyway, uh, today's guest is Size Specs, a.k.a. Barry Beats. So welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. So yeah, I used to see your name all the time when I was in Brighton on flyers and stuff, like DJ things. We did do a few um, Big Beat Boutique nights at the Concord. Ah, of course, yeah. So yeah, there was quite a few little spots that we'd play down in, in, in Brighton. Um, but because we were on Wall of Sound, which is, sure. was the archetypal the, sort of the big, big beat, <laughs> yeah. Um, obviously, Brighton was was the the, the place, and uh, yeah, so we used to go down there, and quite often, sort of, uh, I'd be followed by Fatboy Slim after you know coming off, and uh, yeah, he'd be wobbling up afterwards to uh, to get on the turntables. Oh, but um, for sure, yeah, I mean that was probably. Yeah, a good healthy sort of maybe two years um off the back of like being on wall of sound and having the album out and stuff um well, did you used to dj a lot in london anyway or a fair bit yeah yeah i mean not we did we did have a residency for a while in the uh dog star but yeah we played all over the place fabric the end um yeah five foot east a lot of the sort of uh recognized clubs and to be honest, like back then, it's it's kind of a shame because now with the stuff you can do DJing with, like you know Serato and with the S nine that I've got, it's it's like if I had that technology back then, I would probably sort of be able to tear it up. But you know, back then it was just we were sort of probably more focused on the production and yeah, I mean we had good records. Um, I mean that's the thing back then, there wasn't so much de- you know competition with DJing because it, it was a fairly expensive pursuit because you actually had to. Every week, go out and make sure you had all the sort of, you know, the good sure. hot records and, you know, have the, all, all, all the ill funk and soul stuff. And it wasn't, there was a huge amount of reissued stuff then. So, you know, most of it we were playing sort of off original records and that. But yeah, so it was kind of about, you know, you had to have the records and the, the material to, to DJ back then. But And the knowledge as well, because back then it was, really was a learnt thing you may be able to pick up a few little nuggets of friends but you would you'd have to do the work yourself you certainly wouldn't be able to go to a website look up all the different people who've used a sample or what the sample was in a particular song like uh there was a certain um passage of rights involved with it well 100 percent. i mean trying to explain <laughs> to youngsters now what it was like, you know, even just back in the 90s, you know, it wasn't till I suppose, 98, 99 that we first started kind of, you know, sniffing around the internet and sort of seeing what, what was possible and, you know, coming across YouTube and things like that sort of in the early noughties. But yeah, it's crazy. You know, all, all the knowledge back then was just sort of, you know, stuff you had to seek and yeah. And just, you know, I, I've been digging, I suppose. And when I met Julian, 
he had like a, a huge wealth of knowledge. And then you just, you meet other people and you sort of, you know, you're constantly tapping people up and you've got your little, your little trusty notebook with all your records written that you want to try and grab that you, you know, got breaks on and stuff like that. So it kind of reminds me of what it would be like being a, um, a scientist or magician in the medieval times where it was like a sort of covert, you know, word of mouth oral tradition, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you'd probably have to make a lot of it up yourself, wouldn't you? You sort of have to be creative and, yeah, conjure up your own tricks. Oh, for sure. <laughs> Excuse the pun. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so could you explain your um your your route into music and when you started putting out stuff and uh, all that type of thing, like just yeah, the basic uh... L- lineage? Well, um, yes. yeah. I mean, let me think. I started off sort of dabbling, I suppose, as far as getting... I mean, I started collecting records and getting into hip-hop when I was probably about 13. Um, so when would that been? Sort of around sort of 86, 85, 86. Um, the electro albums, things like that, sort of basic stuff, Beat Street soundtrack, Grandmaster Flash, all, all the classics. Um, and... But then I met a guy down here, a local chap, who had some really good, like, sort of 12 inches, and he sort of inspired me. And around this sort of time, it was kind of uh, 86-ish, and there was, like, the lesson mixes, cold cut, that kind of thing, and Marley Mile sampling samples. Um, it was like a sort of thing. It was, what's going on with these tracks? Where are these old sort of, you know, this old source material coming from? So kind of sussed out that it's kind of like these old records that they're digging rather than obviously in the in first part of the 80s it was a lot of drum machines and sort of synths it was all like electro music and um but yeah as a second half of the uh 80s the samples were a big thing and i was kind of just obsessed um we're trying to find out what they were and i mean i think i'd always kind of loved funky stuff it's not like i sort of came from a a family where there was a big sort of funk soul traditional funk soul music collection going on or anything like that um so i just think i just sort of you know um things like sesame street the funky stuff and that i used to love as a kid and i always remember just liking sort of funky grooves I, the first break that i always wanted to find out what it was was pick up the pieces average white band because i remember hearing it on superman 2 that's a killer um what is that so I'd, I'd go around sort of you know age sort of 14 sort of record shops going up to sort of you know these old old guys sort of pestering and going what's, what's the track that goes and yeah they just look at me like i was mad um so yeah that was that was it really just trying to dig for for breaks and then well my, my friend he bought like a four track um and turntables so i was extremely envious of him with with that and uh when i saw what you could do with a four track it was kind of what i'd always wanted to do um so i sort of got a job at 15 saved up eventually bought his four track off off him a tascam porter 05 um and he had a sampler as well he had like an early sampler a korg dss1 are you aware of that one, man? 
Never heard of that one, to be fair. It's a beast. I mean, I, I'd I'd love to try one now. It's like an SP. It's only got, I think, eight seconds sample time. Um, what what year would this be? Because I, I had the, uh, the Casio FZ1, which presumably would be a similar sort of era. Yeah, maybe a tiny bit before the SZ1. He must have got it around... 88 89ish um so yeah it's probably sort of about 87 88 it came out it was a huge sort of keyboard it didn't have a wasn't a workstation so it didn't have a sampler uh sequencer in it mm-hmm. but it had a really amazing sampler which just sounded so rich it was like a really kind of super rich sound that you would get out of it and you also had amazing filtering and sort of digital filtering, and you could really mess with the sound. I remember there was a great filter that um, you could use, like the the um, like a joystick kind of uh, mod wheel on it, and you could literally it made the sample sound like it was sort of draining away down a tap. It was like this watery. I used it in a cut and paste mix. It was I don't think I've heard that sound since it, it was fantastic so yeah lo- you could really mess with it um you could create like waves it was like a synth almost you could sort of try to turn the uh sampled waveforms into synth uh waveforms and modulate them and do all sorts of stuff so yeah loads of fun with that but it was at that stage it was all still tr- triggering stuff live keeping fingers on keys no sequencing or anything like that um so the f- yeah Basically, I wanted to save up. I had the four track. Then my my thing was I need to save up for a sampler. So I started, you know, I was heavily into the music technology magazines, Sound on Sound and all that stuff, sort of trying to research. Because again... Yeah, it, it, it was so difficult for me as a kid to to find out any of this stuff. Now it's it's so easy to oh, yeah. find um, anything. Sorry, <laughs> I interrupted you. But yeah, I, I totally agree with you, man. Like It was quite late into, the, into the, our sort of doing beats that we actually even heard of an sb1200 you know it's like you hadn't even heard of these things um so i was doing my research and trying to work out you know what what's the sampler to get on my budget obviously it couldn't have been a new one it couldn't have i wouldn't have been able to afford a akai you know s9 no it's uh, i was i was maybe looking at s950 but then i, I looked at this thing called a eps ensonic eps and did a bit of research on that and it yeah it seemed like that ticked quite a few boxes so um what yeah, was good about the the uh eps is because i i know a lot of um drum and bass producers were using it okay um and that was that was the sort of the rack mount thing right no this was a keyboard one so oh, okay it was basically the predecessor the the early version of the asr 10 so they they did three and sonic did three sort of main keyboard workstation samplers they did the eps the original one then they did the eps 16 plus which is the 16-bit version uh the eps is 12-bit and then they came out with the asr 10 which was just the beast um but yeah so i i went in with the um i think i'd only i had like an art, article a review page that the eps the original one i couldn't afford the 16 plus so I still remember to this day how much it cost. It was £850 from the back of a copy of uh, Music Technology magazine. Because, again, there was no eBay. <laughs> yeah. there, was, there was no Gumtree. Um, you know, if you wanted to buy a little it was a music tech, it had to be Music Technology magazine from the classify ad. So, yeah, saved up. probably took me two years 
of glass collecting every weekend in a local sort of uh, a, a local club um, to save up the money. And yeah, splurged it on that. Still remember the day the postman rocked up with the massive great uh, package in the back. And um, yeah, it was, I mean, I struck gold really with that, you know, the fact you could sequence stuff on it, you know, I was like, wow, well, this is it. You know, nothing's going to stop me now. You, you know, the possibilities are endless. So yeah, no more balancing cassette tapes on keys to keep loops going while you're sort of you know layering up three or four different loops but saying that i i would i've got to say working in the traditional old way um and coming from a djing background as well because i was djing at the same time those are the sort of bedrocks the foundations of your sort of understanding of timing and how things work and you know go together because you've got to really work to make things sort of all mesh together i mean even the early tracks i was doing on four tracks there was a lot of layering you know I'd, I'd take sort of three or four different records and try and put them together sort of thing so you're kind of learning through that process um you know a lot of important stuff really that sort of helps you out later later on down the line oh for sure um i remember the the day i got my first sampler what, what was it i was uh it's the casio episode one i was 18 i just moved to brighton and um I think I just asked the local in Gak, the the local music shop there. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the guy says, "Oh, I'm I'm trying to sell my keyboard actually. Like, um, oh, it's br- it's brilliant for for sampling, yeah." And then uh, so I was like, "Okay, wicked." Um, it was only two hundred pounds, which I mean, it came out. It was like a three grand. Yeah, yeah. Like mega beast, or whatever. But by then, it was just like really old sort of technology. And at the time, you could, I don't know. It was uh, Logic was still on the PC, so I don't know if I really needed it to be fair. But it was a it was a seventeen kilo keyboard, and I was a really skin, skinny small guy, and I had to I had to trek from the music shop all the way back to um to the apartment with this massive keyboard, and I had to stop like I don't know it just looked, it would look ridiculous. I, yeah. could barely, I could barely lift the fucking thing, so it was like dragging it through town. Um, I don't know. It was some, <laughs> it was some like Christ carrying his cross type thing. Like, <laughs> it, it was my, a religious I don't experience. Know, I don't know if it was my downfall, but well, this is it. And, and now you've got more sampling technology probably available on your phone that goes in your pocket. That's oh, the crazy absolutely. thing. Absolutely, it's it's nuts, isn't it? <laughs> you can get the IMPC with like you know limitless sample time, where you can just sample things conjured up from midair through the power of the internet you know did you say your mpcs have you got do you have a a new one with super oh the impc no no oh, I d- oh sorry the impc Is that yeah what yeah saying? the one that the app that that goes on your phone i mean i know someone who makes some pretty decent beats on the impc um i mean that's the thing it's like as long as you've got the ideas the pr- this is it. This this thing I tell to you know, so a lot of people are really caught up on what's the right gear, what's the best this, the best that. To be honest, sampling, as long as you can chop the beginning and end of a sample and sequence it with fairly solid timing and sort of move the timing around a little bit, that's all you need to do. I mean, I, I was using um, trackers when I was uh, when I was a teenager. Are you aware of those trackers? No. So uh, just just the just the ones that you'd wear on your 
your legs with your before you go jogging. It was it was on the Amiga, the ST, and early like three eight six PCs primarily, and okay. it was how they would make the music for Amiga games, and yeah. it would be uh, a sequencer, a hexadecimal sequencer, and the the samples would be saved in the song file. So a song file may be like half a meg, and it would have all the one shots, any sort of loops they'd use, and then the actual sequence, which is like, yeah, hexadecimal grid. So you would sort of, um, you would program it in. But all the sort of early drum and like jungle and stuff like that was was done with it. It does ring um, a bell, man. It definitely rings a bell. Um, and they were great, but like, you had the technology to do it on a computer like 20 years ago and and like you say all you need is the ideas but the the, the best thing about trackers is because it had all the individual one shots and samples embedded in the file you could then extract them so if you if you like to track and they they've sampled amen or something boom you you've you've got it and you can okay yeah yeah it it rings a bell man it rings a bell i mean i know some people was it I think it was the Amiga. There was a there was a popular one that everyone used to use. Again, my friend that oh. I bought the four track off, um, he used to use it, and it was like a it wasn't horizontal. It was like a vertical scrolling. That's right. I can't remember what the the name of the one I used to use was called Digi Tracker. Okay. But it it was something tracker. All of all of them had you know, um, yeah, and they were great. They, you know, they they were. They were they were decent enough. Like, um, are you ever into computer games? Not well, not now, but maybe when I was about twelve. Okay. Sort of uh, spe- uh, ZX Spectrum. Uh, I, d- I didn't go beyond the ZX Spectrum. So there was, there was a game called Cannon Fodder by Sensible Software, and they got Captain Sensible to sing the theme tune, and then they. They managed to have the whole song with like him. They basically cut up and sampled all his lyrics into like little four bar chunks. Um, so you you could play these these. I don't know it was before CDs and CD audio on on media like that. So to hear a song with actual lyrics, it was like a little like cod reggae song about war being fun. Right. It, it so was did, great. did Captain Sensible then feature on lots of early Jungle records? Really. No, I, I did he. <laughs> um, I'm not sure. There you go. I'm sure, that was a good little video with him, and I'm sure they only got him because it was Sensible Software, and he was called Captain Sensible. It makes sense, yeah. So, <laughs> but, again, um, another pun. Um, <laughs> so, at, at what point did did you go from to computers? Sorry. Oh, to computer doing stuff in a door. Yeah. Oh man, I mean, gosh, that came a lot later. I mean, I mean, the lineage probably was. EPS, um, then sort of hooked up with Julian, and we were working together uh, in the creators. So and wait, that would that would have been uh, uh, ninety about, about ninety or earlier. No, no, earlier, man. Yeah, we met sort of ninety-ish, ninety ninety-one, something like that. Um, I started coming up to London and sort of hanging out in London a bit. Then I went to university, so I was up in High Wycombe, which. If you're from Cornwall, High Wycombe is pretty much London. Um, <laughs> I'm in Portsmouth, and then anywhere above. Yeah, I, I think is anything up Bristol inwards is London. Um, yeah. if you're from Cornwall. So, <laughs> yeah, basically every weekend I'd be down working there. So, we kind of, uh, 
I was well. I'd, I'd still have my EPS up in Wickham. Julie, actually, Julian got this. His, oh, I, I, I remember his first sampler. He didn't do as well with his first one. It was the W30, the Roland W30. Now you notice no one ever talks about that sampler. Is that, is that for a reason? Is there a good for reason? A for brilliant it? reason. It sounded gack. It was a hideous sounding thing. We could, he, well, couldn't make anything sound decent on that. Um, so yeah, he quickly. Well, I think around that time the ASR10 came out. So as soon as he could, he upgraded to the ASR10. And then that was just like a massive leap forward. Um, was the sequencer on the ASR10, um, did it have like a, a certain groove like they say the SP does or the MPC or something, you know, where, the, where the, the the timing's rigid but also has that sort of its own I character? You, I, I tell you how I described the, the sequencer on the ASR10, um, the sound of it, shit. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's not very good. Uh, yeah, it's not. I wouldn't say there's that much going for it as far as the sequencer is concerned. In fact, there's a few glitches on it. Um, one of the main ones, and you can hear it on certain hip hop records, is uh, when it goes, you know, we work in four bar sequences, and when it repeated at the end, more often than not, especially I think if you let any samples go over, sort of, you know, kept sure, your finger on the out. key or whatever and didn't do a note off, you'd start developing these, um, like a little staggered jump. So it would just kind of like, yeah, you get like... So a, it, would it finish the tail off the sample and then repeat? I don't know. It would just basically, it would get to the end of the four bars and it would put like a few extra milliseconds in. So there's a, there's a few classic records. You can't mix them for Toffee in the club because they were done on an ASR 10 and, you know... They just go out of time every four bars because of the uh, yeah. the little stuff. SB four hundred four does that. To be fair, does it? Okay. Yeah, um, it's annoying. Yeah. It's a hell of annoying, actually. In fact, I mean, I've, I've had it. I've only had it for like a year or two now. Yeah. Um, and the bugs are really, really annoying. <laughs> like to the point where it makes me feel less of it. You know. Yeah. Like less towards it, but at the same time. As it, I've, I don't know it has its other it has its other strong points, and that's like probably its effects unit. I think that's the only that's the main thing, really, isn't it? It's just it's, it's that compression, weird compression thing that it does. But oh no, the compression's awful. What, what's that weird thing that it does then? The, the sort yeah, that people like that. I mean, the the, uh, the three hundred three has a weird compression thing, but if it's anything like I've got the four hundred four and the five hundred five, if it's anything like that, then I don't know. It's not that good. It's it's um. The one I've got the newer version, so I'm not sure if that's different. But essentially, what happens is if you're playing a sequence with a few different samples and stuff, it's like they're being overly driven, so the kick will duck out. Stuff. Okay, yeah, that's, so like that's a, the it sort just of pumps sound. a little bit, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, is um, it the thing that Volf, the Volf compressor, tries to emulate? Volf compressor is really good, really, really good. Have you got any of the Volf plugins? I, I had them on demo, but I yeah I didn't. They're they're over the top, completely over the top. Um, yeah. So it was it was all about the dry and wet balance, just not uh -huh. to to overdo it. But yeah. I love the idea of Wolf. They they've got some really nice other weird plugins. Like everyone likes the compressor, but um, they've got really good panning or sort of stereo image thing, which is good. And you know they're all nice tools, but. 
I discovered the Volve compressors first because I was sort of researching into like 404 sounds and, yeah. and that vibe. And then I discovered Volve Pack. Uh, are you aware of those guys? Oh, yeah, the, the bat. Yeah, yeah. I think I might have heard one or two things and not liked it. I thought, okay, this is like trying to be funk, but not quite sort of hitting the marks. And then I watched a video at Christmas and it was them live at Madison Square Garden. Um, and I haven't like, uh, I haven't smoked any weed for, for years and years. And I know it's Christmas. So I, and I, I was high and I watched this two hour video and I was like, wow, this is the best gig I've ever been to. I'm not obviously not there, but it was like such a really good live show. And they were all swapping, they were swapping, um, instruments, every song. It's like, okay, so the drummer's now playing the keyboard, the keyboard player's now playing the saxophone, and then they swap around again. Then he brings out his mum to do, like, a breathing yoga thing, and then they just carry on. And it's, it was it's nuts. Like, high, really highly recommended. One of the best live things I've, I've seen on YouTube. So the Fourth Pack Live at Madison 2019. Um, and also, sorry to jump in still, uh, the other, other two notable mentions... Um, there's a black and white stacks review from 1960 something in Norway. Right. Wow. And it is um it's it starts off with green onions. And then so what's that the the barkies, right? Uh Booker T. Booker T and the MGs, sorry. And then it's the barkies. So then like they bring in their sax players and then so it's the barkies playing a few songs. And then they get Sam from Sam and Dave out oh, to they, sing. and then Dave comes out they were then, meant to be amazing live like something else when they Sam and Dave did they they didn't get on though did they I don't think they got on did they yeah, probably not there's probably like a lot of like um <laughs> you know like uh trying to outdo each other yeah and that's probably why they put on such a good show <laughs> and then Otis Redding came out um and it's in Norway right so the, the whole crowd um are, are white teenagers and they're all sitting down at the start of it. And music's, you know, the, the first song's Green Onions. And, you know, the, the most you're getting movement out of the crowd is like a little head shake. Yeah. And then by the end of it, they're literally um, sort of attacking the stage. Wow. And they're all stood up and just going nuts. It's it's such a great live show. Um, yeah, that's that's a really highly recommended just... And, and the bass, uh, Donald Duck Dunn. Yes so tight all the way through it yeah it is mind-boggling like the, the the quality of musicianship like when you look back in the days compared to, i mean i think like an average band back then like an average funk band nowadays would be revered as like you know something else you know it's just everyone just seemed to be so on it you know do you I don't think know whether... it's because um i guess there was musicianship was was more of a sort of stricter vocation whereas people yeah when and also you had gatekeepers right so you wouldn't be making the record if you weren't of course yes there is that and that, that's the same that applies almost to any music up until sort of you know the internet and sort of the noughties but yeah basically um i think a lot of these groups like funk groups a lot of them would sort of as kids be forced to sort of play in a marching band or you know playing a church band so they'd learn instruments really early from an early age and just that whole sort of you know just just the culture out there and just it's like a melting pot of music in certain sort of areas you know if you're in memphis or wherever it's just you know 
it's in the air, in the water, as they say. So, um, but it's incredible, you know, speaking to a few people about, like, for instance, Cool and the Gang, I mean, their early stuff and just as a band, they were just phenomenal. And a track like NT, which is a classic track, um, I was chatting to someone who'd interviewed George Brown, the drummer, and apparently they made that up. That, that's that's from the Live in P, Live at PJ's album. And uh, apparently they just made that up in the dressing room before they went on stage. <laughs> I mean, that's the level, you know, and that's now just like an absolute classic breakbeat, just crazy, amazing track. You know, NT, no title. It was just a jam. Is that what it stood for? Okay, that's cool. Yeah, so basically from the... Um, so Julian then got the, the ASR-10. Um, and actually, well, the problem we were having, as I was alluding to, was the sequencer was just a bit sloppy and we weren't just getting that tight sound that, that you know, we were listening to on the American records and stuff. So then we around this time, we learned about the SP-1200. Um, in fact, Julian got an SP-12 first. Um, and yeah, that was just a real game changer because um, that was just so solid the drums were just so fat and in your face i suppose it's like the difference between i don't know a mini moog and i don't know a sh101 or um no there's nothing wrong with the sh101 but you know put it next to a, a mini moog and you'll hear a bit of a difference so yeah the, the drums were just you know outstanding and and I think, yeah, it wasn't long before upgraded to the SP-1200. It's got a little bit more sample time. Um, and, yeah, just sync those two together. So we, we worked two different methods, really. We we either synced them together, so both sequences were playing, um, which kind of worked, but there was a bit of drifting, and it, neither, neither way was perfect. Um, the other way was just midiing up the SP. So we were just using the SP sequencer, and triggering the SR10 samples through the pads, but then you're limited to how many pads you've got, which was, it was okay for sort of basic tracks, but yeah, we weren't really sort of known for basic tracks. So we usually sort of sync the two together. Um, then I upgraded my sampler, the EPS to um, the MPC 2000, and a bit like sort of uh, paralleling the SP12 to SP1200, I soon got frustrated with that, and as soon as the 2000 XL came out, I got the XL, and then that was just, you know, way better, so much nicer to use. So was this um, 2000-ish? Yeah, it must have been 99, to, no, uh, no, a little bit before, 98. Literally, I got the, the XL pretty much as soon as it came out, because I'd had the 2000 for about a year, and then I, I grabbed the XL as soon as it came out. And um, so I think, it, yeah, whenever that was, 98, 99, something like that. Because a lot of the album was done using it and we were working on that two or three years before it actually uh, dropped in 2000. So, yeah. Um, so I went on with that for quite a while. Then then I got my own, when we sort of uh, disbanded the creators a bit later down the line. Um, I'd also, around 2000... Um, got like a Pro Tools set up, like a sort of G4 um, Mac system. And because before that, most of the stuff we were recording with the creators was done on the Roland VS-880, which is the hard... The 
Digital, is that digital mixing? Yeah, it's like a digital recording device, eight track. Was it eight or 16? I forget. But um, yeah, I mean, it was okay. It did the job. Um, but I just look back at those days compared to now with doing everything all together in the box and just thinking, God, we had to sync the the Roland VSA 80 with the SP and the N-Sonic. It was just like one big MIDI nightmare, you know. And I personally... I've never been hugely technical, sort of, you know, I, I just, you know, I'm not your real technical producer. I just sort of go with more the feeling and just, I, I, I just need to try and get what I need to know. And I don't really bother about anything else sort of thing. I don't want to kind of know every last trick that something does. I just need, need to know what I need to know to do to get the results. Um, and yeah, just the, the midiing just always used to, frustrate me and just things going out of sync and just not knowing a hundred percent whether it is locked in sync or not always used to do my head in um midi's 40 years old now right or near near enough and they've only just announced midi 2.0 like a year or two ago they've just worked out what it is so as <laughs> a, a thing in that and yeah it was terrible i mean it was <laughs> i guess i guess it probably was good for i mean time, we still but... call it midi but we we almost thing is you don't even you don't even think of it so much as MIDI anymore because things are sort of, you go through USB sort of leads mm -hmm. and just plug in and play and you don't have to think so much about it. Um, yeah, you just see MIDI notes, but it's just, you just think of it as a note really, don't you? It's just a little, a little shape on your screen. Oh, sure. <laughs> Which is good because, you know, we used to just be simpty time coding. You'd go in a studio and then you'd have to simpty it all up. Was, <laughs> oh man. We probably spent hundreds and hundreds of pounds just on trying to sync stuff in studios and dragging all our kit around and loading floppy disks up and driving to the studio. One day, one day we were off to the studio, running late, turned the, I think it was about the third corner we turned and suddenly this almighty crash. We go, what the hell is that? We just, we stopped the car, looked back, and uh, I'd, I'd left the the disc box on the roof of the car. No. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so on, on like a busy junction in Kingston, you know. Did you recover it? Did you manage to? Yeah, I was, we were like stopping traffic, scooping up discs from the road. Um, yeah. So no, no more of that. But then again, <laughs> the, I suppose the the parallel is you know you've got some precious stuff on a little usb key and they're, they're pretty easy things to lose <laughs> it's like uh yeah but i mean uh when when everything was sort of dvd burners and stuff before mm -hmm. usbs was prominent did you used to record a lot of dvds yeah we we um well, i mean before that it was a lot of dats you know we'd sure. mix everything onto dat but yeah, I suppose we'd, yeah, save stuff. And not on. even for musical stuff, but just like for data backup and, and, yeah, yeah, and that type yeah. of thing. So I've, I found a big wad of DVDs that I'd, I'd sort of burnt, probably like torrents and stuff, when I, like weird films and, you know, obscure little bits. Yeah. And I tried to play them back recently and none of them worked. Really? Oh, and it's wow, like, well, so... I mean, do I actually need any of this information? I mean, there's probably stuff there that I have cr created which would be nice to have. Yeah. But I think that's going to be the way it is for a lot of the digital stuff. Uh, do you, I guess do you think it has a finite? Do you think this is like the archiving on the disc? Do you think the disc is kind of corroded or whatever? Or 
Um, I mean, I worried about that tape. Probably. You know, they were they were temperamental even when they were new. You'd they'd always glitch out and stuff. But uh, yeah. So when you did the creative stuff, were you sent acapellas via that? Uh, sometimes. I mean, to be honest, most of the stuff we did, we just did with the artists. Like, you know, we'd go in a studio. I'm trying to think pretty much all of it. Maybe there was the Big Twan. I think, the, yeah, Big Twan record. Um, I think he sent us a doubt of the the vocals because he was in new york but yeah like all the stuff on the way we flew the guys over and worked with them or they were over anyway sort of on touring or whatever so um yeah and then we went and recorded a few things in america so yeah most of the time you know back then it was the organic sort of traditional route of working in a studio with the artist which is the best way i mean you know that's proper producing you know i don't yeah to be honest even recently I don't really mess with too much uh, sort of remote vocaling. I'd always rather sort of, you know, even when I, I did the track with Maestro a few years ago and I went up to London to do it in the studio, you know, I just didn't like the idea of, you know, just him doing it on his Todd and me sort of getting it back. I know that's how it works now, but, yeah, I'd much rather work with the artist and, you know, yeah, had that vibe. Oh, for sure. MVC 2000 XL, um, and I had the Pro Tools, and then I upgraded my Mac. I got this was, yeah 2011 ish 2012. Um, I sold a load of studio gear. I sort of made the decision. I had like a ghost desk and quite a bit of nice little bits of outboard that I'd acquired, Space Echo and Fender Rhodes and all that stuff, and sold it all to get like a really top of the range Mac Pro um, and try and sort of, you know, get everything in the box a little bit. Um, Cause it always appealed to me just doing everything in one place. So having all this, the whole session sort of in the computer. Um, so I got that and then just started dabbling away on that using Pro Tools and contact for sampling. And yeah, just slowly got into that way of working really. Um, I mean, the advantages for me over hardware, obviously just way more powerful. You've got instant access to, you know, loads of plugins to, to mess with your sound. You've got loads of time stretch, real-time real time, time stretching and pitch manipulation, all those things you just dreamed of, you know, way back in the days when, you know, if you wanted to time stretch something, you'd have to get a calculator out and, you know... <laughs> And it would take ages. Like, I mean, yeah, going how long does a cup of tea 2000 or... XL take to, to oh, down? Mate. A, a long time, time. Not as long as the ASR sample. 10, but, you know, in the ASR 10, it was a 50-50 chance it would crash. Crash, yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> so just just working in a, a door was kind of like a dream, really, and just instant, you know, saving things quickly and not losing stuff. Um, obviously, we've all I've lost a few things over the years, but I've been fairly lucky. Um working indoors and that's in digital audio workstations and not indoors um and yeah basically i think yeah with with ableton um it's one of those things where i was quite happy in pro tools with contact but 
I had a few people just saying, oh, you know, you'd really love Ableton, you know, Ableton's, that's where you've got to go. But at the same time, I'd always hear these things about Ableton not sounding as good and being maybe a little bit compared to some of the other doors. There was always that, originally, there was always that, so it was a bit more of a toyish kind of door. Sure. It had a little bit of a... And, and, and people would make a big point that all doors would sound, have their own sonic... Yeah, exactly. I'm not sure if that was, if that was ever proven. But well, um, I, I think it's something to do with the colours of the door that you're using. You mean the actual colour on the, screen? Of Yeah, I think, I think that might <laughs> colour people's... I, I must admit, using a dark grey skin, I do feel a bit more professional than when I used to have the light grey skin. Uh, does it feel more <laughs> clinical? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it looks a bit slicker. Um, but, yeah, but yeah, so... And the the thing is with Ableton, I I tried it um, two times. I had two like a dabbles in it, and just couldn't get my head around it. It's, it's very different from Pro Tools. You know, Pro Tools is very linear, just scrolls. You have got two screens, that's it. Um, but it was like the third attempt. My mate was like, "Look, I'm going to get you into it," and I was getting a bit frustrated actually with with certain things in Pro Tools and watching my mate use it. I mean, he was doing more sort of EDM and stuff, but a bit of hip hop and he just he was flying on it and and I was just looking for the fastest way to chop samples you know contact was it was pretty good but you know I was like on a mission to find the fastest sample chopping techniques I mean that, to me that's that is like I don't know the holy grail because the more things you can quickly audition because quite often you don't know you might sense that there's some great possibilities in a bit of music and there might be like you know, two minutes worth of music and there might be a bit here and a bit there and you don't want to have to sort of commit too heavily to uh, to chopping it up. Yeah, it can take like 20 minutes. Say, I mean, I still, oh, yeah. still use the 2000 XL. and yeah. easily 20 minutes. You know, so, you know. just, just um, trimming things and getting them in the, on the right pads and, you know, uh, yeah, it's, it's a lot of dead time, isn't it? And, and I guess when you're being creative... You need to get that juice out. I mean, out. there is an element of like ex- anticipation and excitement because you've spent like you know fifteen twenty minutes chopping thirty two bits of this sample, um, and is it going to work? But then when it doesn't quite work, you just you throw away that time, isn't it? Yeah. So, and you know, I kind of well, my mate said there was a way of um, you can just chop it in real time, just like you know, press a as you play the sample back, just press a key and it'll just chop the, put the start point. And I said, well, there you go. This is, that's, if that's the case, then it's over. You know, that's like as quick as it gets. And yeah, so he taught me that, installed the... Is, um, is that a thing on Ableton? Is that yeah, like a, yeah. a, a warp marker button? Yeah, well, again, this took a little while to... Um, he didn't have that this to start off with, so I, I had to try and uh, look into it. And actually, that's one of the things that inspired me to start doing tutorials because... I soon found out that, you know, YouTube is awash with Ableton tutorials. You know, you, you can't move for them. And quite a lot of hip-hop ones, but is there any decent ones? Like sort of, you know, going into any sort of reasonable sort of detail in, in chopping or, you know, good workflows for sample chopping? I basically just could, could hardly find any. Um, not ones that were really well explained, you know. So I thought, well, at some point when I've learned this, I'm going to have to pay 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 back and uh try and uh teach some people some stuff and how to chop 
um, which I still haven't done actually, which is going to be my next video, little future plug. My next video is going to be a Barry Basics, like chopping workflows, you know, the quickest, most efficient ways to chop samples on Ableton. Um, I'll, I'll, um, I'll give you a preset for that. Yeah. Um, because you're right, there, there's, there's not much. Maybe there's, it's better now, like everybody and their mum's doing sort of YouTube videos. But, but yeah, for a long time, there wasn't really much useful information as far as like YouTube and Ableton. And there, uh, who was it? I think it was like a Ski Beats video. Yeah. And it was how he chops. And okay. he sort of made a preset. So when you do the, the warp marker um, extract to... And when it puts in puts all the warp yeah. markers into the sampler for you, uh -huh. it gave them a compressor and an EQ for each channel, like all muted, so it wouldn't take any sort of CPU. But then, as you were like playing things, if you wanted to tweak something just on that one particular chop, they were already yeah. there. And you could just unmute it and and do that type of stuff. And then, I think in the comments there was a guy who was his producer who'd made a better version of it. Yeah. Um, so I use this preset quite a lot. Um, okay. So yeah, it might be worth it. Might be worth uh, having an explore. Yeah. On, on that because you can make your own presets for that warp marker thing. Okay. I tend to not. I, I mean, I, again, there's a few golden rules for me when it comes to chopping samples, and one of the main ones is um, I'll, I'll warp a sample to get it perfectly in time, um, but when I chop it. I always turn warp off. Yeah, this this is this is it. Um, because I mean, for, there's a really good sure. reason. Yeah, I mean, the, the pitch algorithm still aren't isn't quite there. I th this just uses the warp markers as the as the um, the chop points. The start points. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No worries. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I use a thing. Let me try and find it. Here. I can remember the name of it. Um, uh, and I've turned the thing off. Oh, what's it called? It's a Max for Life plugin. Doo, doo, doo. Yeah, I use basically a thing called AZ Labs Pad Slicing Mode. Do you know that one? No. Um, you'll have to sort of um, send something. Yeah, it's. I'm not sure if it's sort of built into the new Ableton 10. I mean, it's the thing that you get on the. Um, what's it called? The Ableton. Is it the push? Okay. Ableton's the push, isn't it? I get confused between. Yeah, there's um the Nova Mini Launcher. Okay, I think it's the yeah it's the push, not the machine. I get machine and push mixed up sometimes, but yeah, on the push, someone showed someone had the push and they showed me real time chopping, but I couldn't find it anywhere in live. But then again, my mate who who set me up and it hooked me up with this AZ Labs pad slicing thing. So basically, all that means is you play the. the the sample on the bottom key where you start and any key above it that you tap will put in like a start marker point. So in a sense, you've got real time chopping there so you can chop something up in real time, which is incredible. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, that's good for really good for when you're chopping up stuff that's less rhythmic. That's just got loads of like interesting bits or like weird vocals and stuff. But if, if you've got something rhythmic, you know, I tend to, go for I'll, I'll just get it as close on the grid as possible and then i'll just probably use like a sort of a quarter or an eighth or whatever and just chop it into the incremental parts and then obviously you can edit them afterwards so 
sure. you know that that's it well you know you can't get any better than that <laughs> um I mean, I, I get to the point now where I will import a sample, a song, or, or more so nowadays, I extract the elements first and then put it into Ableton. So I'll just have the vocal or just the extracted beat. And I know you can do that sort of MIDI with Ableton, but yeah. some of the um, the mid-side and AI techniques now are insane for separation, especially if the song was recorded well before digital technology you can really like extract quite a lot of sort of uh component parts of the you know like a proper stem almost um yeah what, what but, do you uh, use for that is it the um what's it called the r oh, yeah i've tried I, try, I use that sometimes um uh i did a video years ago on um mardi gras without the bells and and Back then, I used a different plugin, and it it's it's essentially the same thing. So it's it's basically like advanced mid side phase inversion sort of things, yeah. you know. Um, but the RX is particularly good because it's um, they've used machine learning and AI to sort of get it down. And also, RX are yeah. great tools for um, sound suppression and like the. When when they advertised it at first, they was like, "Here's a jazz song," and you can hear the clinking of glasses in the audience where they were like drinking their wine and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, the the RX tools are are pretty good. Um, do do you not think? I mean, to me, this is always like is it is literally the holy grail, and they keep dangling things in front of us which claim this sort of extraction separation uh thing but and i get all excited and there'll be a demo and then someone will show them doing it and i'll be oh that sounds like it's done a pretty good job and then i try it on something you know uh totally i mean this is my hope this is what i've i've been searching for this like alchemists uh what's it called like you know like the it is it's it is the holy grail alchemist sort of yeah and and kdef is is the artist who okay, yeah. is top of the game for it. Yeah, no, people tell me that. Now, he claims he doesn't use RX and, and uses other techniques, and he says you can use, you can do it in any thing. So I'm not sure. I'm not, I still, still to this day, and I've tried absolutely everything I could get my hands on, um, and I still can't quite get things as clean as that. But so, some of the things are using... Um, Older sources are better because, like, the left and right, you know, like where they would pan the drums on one side and the bass the other. You're, you're always going to yeah. get clearer separation that way. Okay. Um, modern stuff tends to, they put, like, sort of a stereo reverb on top of something or something done in a door with a stereo reverb. That will sort of and ruin that, yeah. a lot of the the sort of separation algorithm. So old, older things, again, work out better. And then... Okay. Um, if something's been digitally remastered, it's probably not going to work as well. Recording a, a record in and then doing it is probably the optimum way of doing it, just because you don't know how the digital processing... and It's more to do the psychoacoustic of digital processing, and it just messes with the audio a little bit. Um, but it's nuts now. I, I could I could send you some bits. Um, send me some, yeah, some KD, KDEF, because people have told me about kdef's like exploits in the in this field and 
Yeah, it sounds sounds interesting. I mean, you sure he's not just got a source of the? He's got the master tapes and he's like <laughs> doing a biz marquee and winding well, everyone up. They say that about the, the reflex because he he does some nuts edits. Yeah, and I've okay. heard lots of different stories um, of how he how he gets in. Like some, someone said, he had he has a friend who's. I don't know. Works for one of the big rec- major record labels and has access to the stems that way, or yeah, I don't know. There's there's a lot of. I mean, that's that. That's, that's, that's is it. Jaron Bombay. He does the like. That's exactly yes. I think Jaron Bombay. Um, he probably does the same stuff as KDF, and I'm, he probably learned it from KDF. I think that might be the case. I, but... No, I don't know, man. I I I've messaged. I've spoken to him a couple of times, and. I get the impression he's got hookups and master tapes. I mean, he he had because uh, his sounds so crisp, yeah. man. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's no way you could extract and like the funky drummer one. You can't get that stuff that crisp. No, no, you really can't. <laughs> um, and he said he said himself he's got like crazy. He trades like people for you know their master tapes. Master tapes, yeah. I'm def- there's definitely like a an underground of that. Yeah, that's like the most underground, insane digging you can do really i mean it's yeah but, but people lucked <laughs> out when they've just like they've bought a, a, a second hand reel to reel and it's had some amazing recording or, or something on uh-huh yeah i mean um, they must be hard to come by now because who, who keeps all those <laughs> even a lot of the master ones got burned didn't they recently it was that big um warehouse in yeah, la burned. with all the master tapes yeah but uh yeah it's crazy man well look maybe one day they'll do it they'll create some maybe maybe they'll just have like intelligent musicians which will like replay everything for you with with really good <laughs> soft synths well have you heard the the jay-z thing people people using the voice synthesizer so that's another thing that isotope or maybe adobe are working on at the moment where it um it machine learns all the phenomes and individual speech characteristics of someone. You feed it enough information, it can then recite it in that voice. Yeah, I think it was Adobe because they were going to do like it was basically build as Photoshop for voice. But that, that's right. Yeah, I mean they announced it a while ago, but now machine learn just like anyone who's got a computer can machine learn it themselves. Okay, and it's like the deep fakes. Like you, you think deep fakes are good, and that's with visuals. Um, I guess audio is an easier technology to sort of calculate. Yeah. Um, but someone recently, they they had Jay-Z doing some sort of meme. I can't remember what. But anyway, um, Rockefeller were copyright claiming it. Right. And it wasn't even in... Well, yeah. So, uh, I mean, there's an issue there. I mean, it is in the likeness of... Yeah. And like every syllable has been gleaned from him, but his mouth didn't actually produce those words. Yeah, so, I mean, th- this is going to be part of, part of the future technology will be, oh, I'm going to get Big Al to yeah, do some yeah. words that I wrote. Well, to be honest, man, with the cut and paste stuff that I try and do and trying to get all that stuff, yeah, it would be amazing. <laughs> I would love that technology. I mean, so I use this the stem extraction thing. I actually um, offer it as one of the services in my um, my audio company. I do mastering, but yeah, I also yeah. do like stem extractions. Okay, and uh, some of them work, some of them don't. But when they do work, they work great. 
so what I'll end up doing is using the instrumentation from a song without the bass, drums, or vocals. Um, I'll put that into Ableton. Um, and it's got to the point now, like Serato samples a really good plugin for it. And it, I guess it hooks into your Serato library, although I don't mix my DJ computer with my audio production one. So that doesn't really yeah. help me. But anyway, it has a fine sample button. So the best thing about Serato sample is that it does immediately work out the pitch and the BPM, which yeah. is nice because Ableton doesn't. And it, I suppose it could if it wanted to. Yeah. <laughs> um, but... So it does that, and there's a fine sample button. So instead of just, you know, it's like there's a random button, which is also good, but the fine sample, it detects transients where it thinks might be a good bit to sample. Yeah. And you can keep hitting it. And I just quite like not picking bits out myself and just try and just complete random, See, I, you know, like tr I'm... try and work with what it's spitting out and giving me. It's, it's like rolling the dice a little bit. You know um, what? I I'm, I couldn't be more polar opposite. I've got to say, man. And like I've seen all the Serato sample thing, and when it first came out, this random like you know it, it provides the chops for you. But I mean, my main problem, man, is I I am just a complete control freak. So if I'm not controlling it, you know, with most of this stuff, like I, I hate any kind of algorithmic thing that I'm not. E even these sort of scalar and things like that that that. You know, which I should really be embracing because my keyboard skills. What about then humanizers and things like that? Like velocity humanizers. Yeah, I just and... use my ear, man, to be honest. I just like to just mess with it all myself and sure. I just trust my instincts and how I know I, I want it to sound. I mean, I suppose there might be an element when I, I alluded to the fact that I'm not technically the most, you know, I'm not like crazy technical. As far as wanting to know every, you know, if a plugin's got way too many parameters, I might just go, oh, I'll try another one. <laughs> so sure. I, that, I, I could be guilty. Of I, that, I, essentially, be that's what music is, though, isn't it? It's trying to get your ideas from your heads. That's it. And I, I think anything that tries to do it for you, I'm going to be a bit, how can I say, um, paranoid and just like, you know, most of the stuff I want to do is fairly basic, you know, just grooves and like, you know, building stuff up slowly and you know i just kind of know what sounds good and it might take me a while um but yeah i do, i'm just a control freak man <laughs> oh that's cool um i i when i was at uni i did um my final piece on a quantum randomizer for patches and it would use not a computer randomizer which i don't know if you've ever had winamp and you press random and I don't know if you've got a thousand songs on there, you'd press random, but it'd be the same one same song might come up more often than not. Okay. And computer random never felt properly random to me. So I was using a quantum randomizer by using the half life of the decaying nuclear particle on smoke alarms. Oh, you know what? That's, that is, to be honest, that's what I've been trying to do all these years. <laughs> <laughs> And, um, Funny should so, say that. and what it was meant to do though is just feed the parameters for a for a synth sound so it just create new sounds and patches yeah um i'm not sure if you remember there was a vst i think by green oak i can't remember what it's called now but you could take two sounds one as like a mother and one as a father 
and then it would sort of make a patch in between. Okay. And so you could like you could generate sort of weird, you know, weird in between sort of sounds. Yeah. Um. But essentially, what would happen is it would be non-use, non-musical noise or non-usable. You know, well, I, it, I it's think... like um, say. I don't know, people like all sort of weird audio though. I mean, I guess Aphex Twin really pushed it when he was putting his face in the spectrograph yeah. and turning that into a sound. Uh-huh. Did you ever see any of those types of things? I didn't, no, no. So it, you'd take a photo, do a photo synth, so it would take, it would take a photo, turn it into a synth noise, and it would just be a horrible sort of weird whistly thing and then he'd put it in but when you play the music back through a spectro spectrogram or spectrograph or whatever it's called uh his face would appear wow because he's embedded it into the the sound <laughs> which, which is nuts it. really yeah yeah um so when but, he moves his face does that affect the the waveform then or is it, is it... i mean yeah i mean if they took a different photo and his face is in a different position yeah it would, okay. it would sound different right I guess it's just mathematical, you know, it's converting one set of math that, you know, digital data into another thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's not very usable, but um, I always like the idea of adding something random in there outside of. Yeah, I mean, I guess, I guess what I, I do is a similar concept because like, I'm quite into creating like original old like weird tripped out instruments but because this is the joy of using midi is you'll write the melody the little melody part or whatever you're doing and say you start off with a you know a harpsichord sound you can easily just you know copy the track put another sound and blend start blending different sounds and different you know it could just be like the tail of something that you put after a harpsichord or you know, a bit of glockenspiel with harpsichord or an EQ that, so it just brightens it up or mixing like the RMI, which tried to sound like a harpsichord with a real harpsichord or a guitar plug. A harpsichord obviously is a bit of a kind of running theme with me, but, uh, you know, sure. basically it's just, yeah, melting two sounds together and doing it with synths as well. I've, you know, um, do that quite a bit. I was trying to, I did the, there was a track called Smiling Faces, which was a kind of like, uh, Layered. I took an old like proggy sample, but it, it was almost buried under all the synth layering, and just trying to emulate the original synth sound to layer it up. I could, I, it took three different synths because again, I'm I'm okay at programming synths, but I'm I'm not like a. I couldn't tell you on a Moog like every last kind of switch and knob. It, it's difficult it does. to get that authentic sort of seventies synth synth sounds more so like i don't know yeah. i think we've, we've multi-sampled everything but there, there's something about the i don't know like not the electricity running through it but I, I i always allude to it my my comparison that i always make with that that situation is it's basically it's like cgi it's like on paper it's exactly the same as reality you know light hits you know the surfaces in the same way but you know unless it's jurassic park one which is the best CGI ever 
committed to celluloid. <laughs> the first, you know, the first proper attempt at CGI, and it was the best. But ever since then, you know, your brain just instantly recognizes that it's it's artificial. There's something in it. It's, it's maybe it's like a human instinct. But I think it's, it's the same got, with you get the uncanny valley now as well. You know, where it becomes it becomes so close, but just a little bit off that it makes yeah. it gives you a sort of weird. A weird feeling. Yeah. Uh, do you spot green screens in the back of like TV shows and stuff all the time? Like they're, like, they're not in a studio. Uh, yeah, kind of. <laughs> you know. But I think with synths and you know, with any synth emulate, emulation, you get that that same kind of feeling. It's just not. It's not coming from like 1973. You know, it's it's like. I mean, I do my best, and there's there's tricks to it. I mean, a few of my tricks would be with synths. Obviously, you've got tape saturation, all the obvious stuff. Um, but I, 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 with the wow and flutter, I, I hate my one of my big pet hates at the moment is, especially with this whole lo-fi thing, is this sort of to make something sound old and authentic, you must sort of make sure it goes. Sure. Nothing they put the RC20 like on it over the, over the top, and yeah, and it sounds awful, but. I'd say with synth sounds, because they did, they were slightly out of, you know, what you're trying to get is that just not perfectly in pitch effect and just a little bit more random. I do occasionally just put a real very subtle bit of wow and flutter on the synths and just drive them a bit more, you know, just make sure you just degrade the signal. Um, um, I found a really, really good plugin for, for synths actually. And, I've tried every, again. I've tried everything from from back from the Amiga times. Every, every sort of audio innovation, I've I've tested them all out, and yeah. I, was, I only started to get stuff recently where they've they've got this sort of emulation and like all the vinylizers have started to come out and and that type of stuff. But I found a plugin recently, which I think is absolutely superb on synths and like sort of soft synths. Yeah, and it's called Synth Warmer. <laughs> is, well, there you go. It, it does what is, it says on know, the tin. It, it says what it does on the thing. And basically, it's meant to be like a Moog, um, a Moog filter sort of emulator. But you can drive it. Yeah. And I don't know why, it just sounds much better than the other ones. Well, look, you, you don't need to know why. Yeah. That's, that's the thing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they, they've done something <laughs> under the hood. Um, yeah. Oh, that's amazing! Um, I'm, that's something yeah, definitely. It's I'm, really good fun. How does it work on other instruments? Um, it's okay. I don't like putting drums through it. I think it makes it too crunchy. Okay. Um, but it's it's nice. I was doing. Um, what about organs and thing, stuff? Because yeah, I mean, well, here's the thing. I do a thing every one. year called the RPM Challenge, and the the one I did was just making an album in a month. So okay. it's it's not my best stuff, but it's. I, I use it as a way to try different things. And I was making sort of psyche prog things, um, yeah. doing a lot of the same sort of things that you, that you did. So it was like um, drum emulators, not drum emulators, but, you know, multi-sample drums um, and sort of really working on finessing the sound to get it sounds, get not garagey, but, you know, like authentic yeah. grit and realism to it and stuff. Like... Um, and I, yeah, I put a lot of stuff through it for that song. So I was using um, the same, the Rick and Backer bass. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, I'll tell you who else uses that, which is uh, is really good, is um, Mark Ribley, the guy with the loop pedal. Not sure if I know him, man. He's worth checking out. Basically, he's got one of those uh, Boss loop pedals, uh, and he'll do everything in one take. Uh, and it, he uses that bass such a such a good tone. Oh, mate, on it's, on, it's, on that, it's um, incredible. Like someone else. Anyway, yeah, is it Marco Polo was bigging that up the other day. He was like, "I'm going to let you into my secret." Oh, it's 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 amazing. And uh, before that, insane. I'd use um, Trilogy or Trinity or whatever. Oh, the... Yeah, Trillion. Trillion is it? Trillion. That's exactly yeah. the one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, so for for synth bases, that's still pretty pretty tasty. Like they they have a certain oomph to them, you know. Yeah. Okay. But um, anyway, I put the synth so warmer through the organs and made really nice screechy organs. Yeah. Um, it's simple as well. There's like there's a there's like three controls. You put a bit of drive in. You got the cut off and emphasis, and then you just turn the mix down to you know to taste. Um, but yeah, that's that's fantastic for for that type of thing. Yeah, I think that's that's one of the areas I could do with yeah finding a little a, a better w- workaround is is getting my, the moogs and the you know the old analog synths. What about convolution reverb? Uh yeah, like ultiverb and stuff like that. Absolutely, yeah. Ulti, ultiverb's the sort of best at it, I think. Yeah, I don't. I've not got one. No, I don't think I used to have it, but it never worked properly. Um, it yeah. used to be really system resource heavy. Yeah, I think I've got one that will use convolutions. I, I you have waves. Is it in way? Yeah, it could be. Which one is it? Um, IR something. Yeah. I, I, I would suggest sort of going down that route for for some stuff. Yeah, and I tell you who do really great impulse resu- uh, um, responses. Uh, I've said that, and I'm going to have to try and remember <laughs> the bloody name of them. Um, they do like drum... Oh, God. I'll tell you what, man. Let me actually... Come back to me, like come back to me that one. Um, yeah, I'll come back to you. They 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 make like it's it's really frustrating because they do like sample drum kits and they're really cheap. And on paper, they're incredible. Like the way you know they're sampled really raw, but unfortunately, they've not sampled them that well. In that you're recording, they'll have like yeah, they're not trimmed that tight. And they don't give enough velocities and ram robins, and I mean they're really basic, so they just go into contact, and you know there's no skin, like no sort of fancy, you know. Oh, um, con- contact has it in uh, IR thing, right? Has it? Okay, yeah. I, I think, think you... I think yeah, I think you can, yeah. I'm pretty sure. Um, I had that the piano in blue, which is the Miles Davis piano they'd multi sampled, like the actual one he did. Wow, bitch, bitch is I know it was one of his like classic, and they sort of you've got that piano, and then they've got one of the sliders, just like how on addictive drums, um, you know, you've got like the bus and and that type of thing. One of the sliders was their impulse of the room, okay, to give it nicer, you know. But you so, could just have it dry and do your own thing with it. I, I I've never quite worked out how it processes the impulse results uh, response things because obviously it'll be like a shotgun and it'll just sample it's a reverb it's like a, a reverb fingerprint yeah but does it then apply that to the different pitches 
Did it, it must have some yes. intelligence. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, okay. I guess so. So a gunshot, they, the reason why they use that is because it's plosive mm-hmm. and because it is like white noise where it'll have a, a range of frequencies. Okay, yeah, yeah. So presum- presumably um, when you feed a frequency into it, it will apply somewhere on that on the same scale. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I guess the, the frequency of a bean... You know, baked beans tin. It probably we'll have its own know, maybe it doesn't have or... as much low end, or maybe it has a lot of low end because it's bouncing yeah, yeah. about, and it doesn't have much high. I, know. I, I tend to avoid it... baked bean tins yeah. in the studio. Well, um, I know. Try it. Like, don't knock it until you, you try it. And that's that was the really good thing about um, speakerphone was another thing that um, Ultiverb makers made, where it would emulate loads of weird speakers and tannoys. Okay. And, you know, you can make something sound like it was from, I don't know, a, a Russian train station tannoy, or you could make it sound like it's going through a magic mic or crappy old TVs. And they would, they would same same technology as Impulse, but because they would sample all the different things, it was just, I guess it's it's better for um, sound design yeah. than it is musical. But then where we're trying to get stuff to sound sort of vintage or authentic or whatever uh-huh. you sort of have to turn towards some of these sort of techniques to, just to get to the right tone yeah yeah um but one other thing worth noting uh is a program called nebula okay and it's again it's like q clone which is a waves program um and again it's the same sort of convolution reverb idea it probably uses the same sort of technology and maths where they put a gunshot or an impulse through but it it does it for different um hardware right it emulates loads of stuff and the guy who's really really top of the game for for the impulses for those types of things for the hardware impulse is a guy called uh henry alonga who was like an english cricketer <laughs> and i guess he retired it was like he was making music and he was like oh well i can I can now, I haven't got an SSL, but I can make my stuff sound like an SSL. I, and he just went nuts on it and ended up having a company um, sort of dedicated to doing as many obscure bits of hardware. Yeah. And it's really good. It's, it's you know, I, I guess it's, it's, it's never going to be the same as actually having the thing. No. I mean, I, I was considering earlier, like I've got a nice... So it's just like a sort of Bose um, kind of wireless speaker type thing. It's, it's an old one, but I mean, it was, it was quite expensive when it came out, but it's got this really sort of really nice sound to it, like a really tight sound. And I listen to sort of, you know, the radio and stuff on it. And it just does something to, to the drums. So I was thinking, you know, that could be the next thing. It's just like playing stuff in like a nice room through this Bose yeah. thing that kind of... Oh, totally. Reamping, right? I guess they do They do have guitars all the time. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, like, they would reamp... Re- 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 so you've yeah. got the DI, and then you'd reamp it um, coming out of a speaker uh-huh. so that you, you, you're you then incorporating the real reverb yeah. of the room in. Um, and, yeah, I guess if you've got a good microphone... I don't even know if you need a good microphone either. No. I mean... Um, and you could afford to sort of not process it so much you know in the outset just process it after you've recorded it back in with the mic 
Um, and then I guess you could mix in a smaller amount of it as well. You know, you could. Yeah. It's it's another option, isn't it? I mean, yeah. There's so much to to explore and mess around with. I mean, this is the thing, sort of. You know, why when it comes to sort of working in a door, just the amount of uh, opportunities. I mean, to some people, I understand. You know, faced with so many options and kind of possibilities, it can be a bit overwhelming. But I don't know. For me, it's just it's it's, it's playtime. You know, it's like you know everything, anything, everything that you'd ever kind of dreamt of when you were struggling on a four track or you know on early samplers. You know, trying to time stretch, trying to get samples to match together, all of that stuff. You would, you know, if someone told you what you could do now back then, you you probably wouldn't believe them. <laughs> I'm just hoping that someone's going to time travel from 20 years in the future and say, well, they finally cracked, uh, you know, audio separation <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and it's perfect, you know. Uh, but oh, yeah. Um, I'll guarantee it will happen. I mean, how how good is the, the Ableton when you play at something and it extracts it into MIDI? Obviously, you've got to do a bit of tidying up, but it's, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's good for a lot of information. Yeah, and I mean, I, I've compared the, um, I compared Ableton's extraction with um, ah brain brain uh, stool. What's the other one called? The mate, the first one that came out that everyone used to extract MIDI. Oh, Melodyne. Melodyne, yeah. <laughs> um, so you could just edit in uh, with Melodyne and. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, they're very different, but I'd probably give... I think Melodyne extracts more notes, so you're kind of left with a bit more of a mess sometimes. Sure. Um, but yeah, it's, it just is a matter of tidying up. I mean, okay, this this is the one thing I haven't quite worked out, but again, this will be the thing... I, I kind of do it manually, but I think this will really help. Um, so you extract something... I want something to tell me not not what um, like the root key is, but in what scale it's being played. So I want something ah, that can sure, analyze yeah. the scale that a mm. piece of music's been played in, because then if you can apply that scale or just the keys that are in that scale, and then dead out all the other ones, you've probably then cleaned up your extraction in one foul swoop. You're right, but maybe with some like funk and soul stuff there's little it's drips playing and the odds ones it's the odd note here and yeah. there which is out of scale you might it's, take out the, the slides yeah it is the, um, the slides that's the word <laughs> it's all a weird little musical I, I tell you what is is really good though is using the extraction technique from the audio to make the stem parts and then putting the separated bits through the extractor so then it's not listening to the bass and the drums oh yeah yeah uh, Hundred percent. I was going to say actually. I was going to sort of interrupt earlier when we were talking about the RX Seven and stuff like that, and the you know the thing that extracts all the parts. That is because I, I in the things I've messed around with, I've not found it to be the audio to be up to par to actually use as a sample. But as you just said, man, absolutely amazing for extracting. You know, I mean, it takes the bass out incredibly. I mean, you. you you know, that would be one of my top tips. Anyone who struggles playing bass line, 
baselines over their, their their tracks. If you just extract, if you just RX seven it, take the bass out and extract that bass, it's pretty much there, you know. Oh, totally. And then again, you run it through something like the you know a good contact library, mm-hmm. uh, and boom. Yeah, I've done that. I've done that a few times, and it's nice because I, I guess one of the goals is to emulate what would be a sample. Yeah. Or I mean, or I mean, probably more so a sample than it would be trying to emulate a real player, or you know, because you, I guess you can find musicians to play in, but um, something about the character and charm of a sample, yeah, you know, has has something a little extra to it. I mean, I always, I always kind of look towards probably for the last twenty years or so. One of my favourite producers is has got to be Just Blaze, and it's kind of basically what he does. You know, he is a master of taking a sample. And almost you're just leaving like a little trace of it in there, but you've pretty much laid new keys, new bass. And it just means you can like EQ those elements out of the sample. So you've not got this big muddy mess and you've just got this bigger sound, you know, where you can just affect and process each element, you know, and make it sound bigger and pan it, you know. So it's basically, it's just like taking a sample and just glorifying it through the medium of virtual instruments and... Yeah, I think we'll we'll see more of that as people sort of learn more and more techniques um, to do it, and as the as this technology sort of gets a little bit better, I've been doing it constantly for the whole whole lockdown. I've just been like um, ext- extracting loads of vocals um, and scratching over them with Serato because you can then you can pitch it, yeah, and still time stretch and sc- scratch them in as well. So. I'll I'll make a beat and I'll just try all the vocals that I've extracted. I can then just audition and then just tap it until it's in the right. It feels like it's in the right key and uh-huh. um. So some of it will just some of it works amazingly, like with the RX and stuff. Yeah. Um, I don't know how, but the the Labby Sifra extracted is perfect. Okay. Every now and then you just get one or two tracks. Or your songs that that just extracts. I tell you, one that is really good. The the best one I've extracted, and I think it's because there is a lot of panning going on, and I think there's some phase issues on the actual original. Um, is my part of town, Curtis Mayfield? Ah, you know okay. I, I think anything on that album, on the Curtis Curtis album, um, yeah, that extracted really well, but. I don't know. It's yeah. It's hit and miss, it's isn't hit and it? Miss. And if you miss, I mean, I, I tend to put, I don't know, maybe four songs and get it, get the computer running in the background, and I leave it for like ten minutes and then come back to see how it's done. But you can waste a lot of time, and it's still CPU intensive. Like you probably can't do a lot while it's extracting. Yeah, yeah. It, it's definitely like it takes all your all your CPU cores. Uh huh. So um, you've been doing a lot of stuff with um, sort of contact libraries and recreating breaks. Um, tell us about your album that you've just put out. Uh, well, yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't go as far as say call it an album. It was. It's basically just like a a sample pack, like a drum sample pack, um, aimed basically to p- for people making beats. Because obviously, I do the. Uh, do the school of beats and sort of do my tutorial things. So I just thought I'd uh, 
offer up i mean i've been talking about these sort of virtual instruments and sort of uh, uh talking about the, the the incredible technology with the drums um things like addictive drums and uh but i've just done a um a three-part episode so i thought well for people who can't quite stretch to the addictive drums and the abbey, abbey road drums i'll give them a few um ones that i've done but also give them like the the individual parts so in theory i mean i'll probably do a little video where i'll take all the um individual drum hits that i've i've done at different velocities all sort of from soft to hard and i'll put it in in the sampler and uh in theory you should get a very very similar result yourself so you should be able to make sort of authentic sounding old drums or at least make some banging hip-hop drums um out of what what i've provided but yeah i've just kind of just i mean it took a couple of weeks just sort of thought i'll do 10 10 drum breaks and just just offer it up for people to sample at will do what they want with um i came with well the, actually the guy from the uh, label that put the album out um Prit at king of the beats he, he coined the fa the phrase ultimate fakes and beats so um yeah because basically it was a sort of they're not real drums, you know, well, they were real drums at one point when they were being, uh, multi-sampled in the studio. But, uh, yeah, basically, um, yeah, I mean, different techniques on each one. So I mean, the thing is with, um, addictive drums too, in particular, as you well know, man, you use it, you can pretty much shape, if you've got all the kits in there, you've got like, you know, 15 different snares and 15 kicks and, god knows how many hats and symbols you can just combine them and process them well it's just kind of limitless what you can do with them sort of you know do you ever do the uh, the multi out of them as well so um have them rooted to new tracks in ableton or whatever door you're using uh, and then you can process them further with the third party or, or the door stock processes you know what i i haven't yet i I almost i will but it's one of those things where i've i'm nowhere near exhausting the possibilities and i'm happy with the results i'm getting as is without having to go too you know in depth and technical and sort of trying to work out how to split everything out i'm sure it's not even difficult but and also I, i i do process the whole the drums as a whole a little you know with maybe a bit of reverb over the top and sort of different effects maybe some amp simulators and stuff but i kind of like to do it over the whole kit because i figure oh you still can though like you you basically put the the individual parts you have the the drum going to ableton audio seven eight nine ten or whatever it is and then you just fold them so then you're it's still it's still okay yes a bus with with the drums and stuff um but it just means that you can, if you've got any other like secret source plugins that you use, you yeah, can, yeah, yeah, um, okay, incorporate those. I mean, it might be uh, quite nice, particularly I think with hi hats, because I said on the video on the on the fake breaks video, uh, I think the trick to the, the 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 thing that you really need to degrade the most with these drum kits is the hi hats. They're the ones that always give it away. That always sound like a, a telltale this is like a new newer sounding drum kit or drum sound so yeah it would be quite nice to add a little bit of additional um 
I think bit reduction is a thing that works and bit reduction and just a little bit of overdrive distortion on, on the hats is always great. So just to be able to do that on the hats on their own would, would be fantastic. Um, and yeah, maybe like a, a slightly different, an extra level of reverb on the snare. I mean, I, I just didn't want to almost get into the, okay, yeah. yeah and, and also the more you, sometimes the more you throw at it in separating it, you might sound more like a hip hop drum kit. I suppose, I mean, that's what I did with the album. Um, the drums on there, like on the B side, they're all virtual drums, but I almost didn't want them to sound just like old breaks. You know, I wanted them to sound like I'd sampled old breaks, but it's still a hip hop record. Do you know what I mean? So that was the sure. difference between that and maybe the beat, uh, the Barry's drama suite thing that i did which i, I wanted to sound 100 percent authentic um so yeah i mean that would be good for definitely when you want to turn the addictive drums into kind of more like a straight up hip-hop i've sampled these drums in a hip-hop record um but yeah i mean but the, the, the effects and everything apart from i say the eq isn't that great the individual eq in um addictive drums would you say that that lets it down slightly? yeah i mean it's i'm sure it works fine i mean i don't particularly like ssl style eqs but people love them and it's the same sort of thing where th i'm sure the eq that they've got is really good for drums or like for some engineers but i mean i still love i use fab filter for eq and there's something about that i just i can make a point and drag it and it's done you know i don't have to like sort of try like four different dials to get to the right thing i can just go to the, the thing um yeah I, I would say i would say all of it i mean i'm not sure if the compression on it's probably that good yeah no true but then you only want to lightly compress it because the, the whole thing is compressing the whole kit together because you need to glue it together and make it you know i mean you've kind of got to just look at what techniques they were using back in the days i mean quite often doing these drums I'll just use the overhead and just maybe I'll use the individual mics just to almost use them as EQ. So say I want a little bit more sub or something on the kick, I'll just bring bring, bring that in and just, just bring that in just so it's sort of sitting in with the overhead. But yeah, for this particularly like 60s drums, the overhead's kind of all you need in a lot of in those. Um, yeah. I mean, as I said, you you can just go overboard. But the reverb, I mean, the thing that I think is incredible in addictive drums is, is the reverb. I mean, I don't think I'd want to almost mess with any other reverbs. It's just one of the best reverbs. Would, would you I've say it was better than sort of like the, um, you were using the Abbey plates and stuff like that? It's hard to say, man. Um, I, I mean, if it works, it, it, it works. Yeah, it, it is. I don't know, like as... As producers, what we do is we'll listen to something and we'll go, okay, well, this has made it sound nicer than before. Yeah, or, or as you said, if it works, it works. And, and, like, that's what I find with it. I mean, you know, I'll, I'll mess a little bit with sort of, you know, maybe a couple of different reverbs, add them together and just, you know, I'll, I'll just mess with the bus going into the reverb to just get different sort of levels of it and tails and stuff. But on the whole... I find that it just creates that seamless tail that you're always after on, on snares particularly. 
and that's really difficult you know most I, I find I have to EQ reverbs a lot nowadays yeah yeah I'm not sure why I, I do that sort of um the Beatles thing where it's 300 hertz and 3k hertz so you chop all that out okay um I don't know I just I, I don't know I just haven't sort of mastered reverb maybe it always sounds better in other people's songs even <laughs> when I'm like you know what's what's the the one my f- um my mate um was telling me about a while back which he va- said is the the best the Van one Haller. No, no. Um, well, people have bigged that up for sure. Um, but yeah, my, um, I don't know if you know. Do you know Mark Pritchard? He's like a complete. Oh yeah, honestly, the harmonic thirty-three stuff. Yeah. The the, the um. So when when he did the music for TV, film, and oh, it was uh, incredible radio, yeah, which yeah. fantastic, like absolutely fantastic records. Mm-hmm. Um, I managed to blag a demo copy. I was on like the Ninja Tune forums at the time. Yeah. And I managed to blag like a review copy. And I was like, how does, how does nobody know about this record? It's so it's like, it's magical. You know, he's got the sound. And it, one of the things on there is I found a f- on the M Tron, you know, the M audio. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Mellotron. Uh-huh. I found some of the loops that he'd used for one of the songs. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, wow, he's just... I mean, he was one of the first to, to butcher those because they, they've been done to death since. But, you know, he was he actually had a hook-up, or Dave, who he worked with, Dave Brinkworth. That's right. Is, um, is he from your way? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he mixed our album, most of our albums, like The Weight. Um, but, yeah, they, he, he had a hook-up with the M-Tron guy and was getting, like, the tapes before they got released, I think. So, So were they, like, somebody's... Someone had recorded these onto Mellotron tapes, and it was part of an actual Mellotron thing. Or was it? Do, do you know? Like, surely, um, if they were, if they they weren't on the original Mellotron tapes, right? Yeah, yeah. All those. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. They were all available. The Mellotron. I mean, it started off. It was meant to be some accompaniment sort of thing that people would sing along to. It was like a gimmick. It wasn't like a serious, you know progressive rock instrument like that wasn't the idea sure. it was it was actually designed just to give sort of i'm gonna sing a song yeah that that was so those tape banks were like some of the original tape banks and i think you could split the keyboard so you could have one of those playing and i think you could like play little melodies over melodies the top over the top sure yeah so yeah but he had the hookup but yeah no going back to his he was raving about the Eventide one. Um, have you oh, used? Oh, okay. Like the hardware or the VST? No, they've just they just modelled it, and he said it's like um, it's the eighties. I forget the name of it, but it's like the sure. the classic nineteen eighties first really good digital reverb. Um, but yeah, he's just like just get it. That's the one. And again, he's like forever been looking for perfect reverbs. So for him to say that, that's that's the one. Um, oh, and by the way, I I remembered the impulse, the the drum, um, the drum guys who do the impulse re- re- responses, the ones that sample the old drum kits. It's pa- past to future. Okay. Have you okay. heard? Have you heard of them? Um, I've not actually, but um, yeah, they're very sort I'm of. Gonna, like, I'm going to investigate. Yeah, check out past to future. They do like really great impulse re- re- responses. They do like old really rare amps and get like the springs 
out of old amps and stuff like that, spring reverbs and things like that. So yeah, they've they've got some beauties. Um, but yeah, the Eventide one, I forget the name of it, man. But I have I only have one Eventide plugin, and it was one they were giving away for free, oh, ages ago. Yeah, and it was like a multi tool, and it had loads of stuff on it. it. Had like, and what was really nice is it had multi tool effects for different instruments. Yeah, um, yeah, I think I've seen that one. I forget what it's called now. It was it was decent enough. Like, I don't know. I, I never, I never really explored it as much as I should have. But I think they did like a weird delay thing. They, I mean, they did a famous like hardware delay um, effect that you see in that Andrew Weatherall would use all the time. Yeah, you, you, every studio we used to use would have that Eventide delay, and we'd always use it. But it was. You'd never get excited about it the same way you get excited about a space echo or something like that. Sure, it just absolutely. Like, it just looked a bit shit. <laughs> That's the problem, I think, with the Eventide stuff is it, it just looked a bit rubbish. Um, uh, but yeah, tr- check out that reverb, man. I, I need to investigate that. But as for the drums, man, like, you know, addictive drums, what what can I say? I, I do, again, I need to check out the other sort of... Um, Virtual drum kits. Yeah. Was it BFD? Uh, uh, what's the one that everyone goes Easy Drummer and uh, Superior Drummer? That's right, yeah. Uh, I think one of those has a really good um, MIDI thing. Mm. Um, and it would... Oh, I can't remember. I think, like, you could play, you'd play a part in it and it would sort of give you some variations that you might not have thought of see we're, we're getting into that territory again yeah, when I start I know, to win I, 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 I know I, go, I know like the randomized thing but, um, <laughs> I'm like because it's not the only thing I could do with help with with drums is fills <laughs> I'm a bit rubbish sure. with fills oh this is it I mean but at the same time you could get a um, a soul compilation yeah. and each song I've got compilations where every song on the on the compilation has a different feel. Oh yeah, you yeah. Can, you can I, just I do try and rip them, but they're really difficult to rip. Yeah, I mean that is where I, I think with my fake drumming, that's the area I need to like. Oh, get, get, sorry, get, like get actual fills in like at the end. So yeah, I was drum, thinking of like introduction fills, like, fills, but like yeah, yeah actual with toms and stuff. Oh, <laughs> yeah, no, it's, oh, it's a nightmare, and it it is like the the hardest part of yeah. drum programming even though like and my sort of get out clause here is as a breakbeat you know fan of 30 odd years and sort of collector of drum breaks we never really want too many fields we're like just give us a straight drums you know so in a sense um, but, but then that, that was the, re- the reason for that was because then we could do our own fields yeah yeah, and, and the hip hop feel is fairly basic, isn't it? You know, double snares and you know. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I, I still have massive issues with doing sort of feel variations in in drum because I, I feel like there's there's only there's only like a certain amount of places where they can go. Yeah, that there's I've got either like a, a mental block with them. I think it's just that. I suppose we've just studied like drums in there looped, like grooving, sure. going for it. You know, we've never kind of, and that's why maybe I, I, I you know, I'm adapt, I'm adept at doing these fake drums is because I know the sound that sounds good, and you know, 
I'm so used to it. Whereas I'm not, I've never really analyzed kind of, you know, crazy. I, you know, I'm not a fan of those jazz records. It's like, you know, they'll do a five minute drum solo and it's just one massive, like, you know, uh, drum fill show off, like showboat, showboating sure. thing. <laughs> so, yeah. I once had um, a great mix of that type of stuff though. I think it was like someone like Luke Fubu or someone Ninja Tuni. And it was like loads of different versions of Caravan. Oh yeah, I love the Caravan. And yeah. then uh, then some obscure jazz drum fill records. And then uh-huh. it was only like two songs that they would use. And it was like just different versions of Caravan and then loads of different drum jazz drum fill records. Okay. And it was weird, just the simplicity of it. It was like a good 40-minute mix. Wow. Um Oh, I'll have to, I'm gonna have to try and remember what what that was. It sounds very Ninja Tuny. Yeah, yeah, it was someone Ninja Tuny. Like it was one of their like you know their goods. I think I, I'm I'm still like recovering from the trauma of trying to uh, trying to locate this tiny on the album on the album I just put out the two sides of Barry on the A side. There's a track. Um, it's called Blazing Baz. And it's like a sort of prog rocky, sort of hard, just blaze style track. And the drums in the in that are literally just a tiny segment of like a sort of Eric Delaney type, you know, one of these sort of jazz drummers going for it. And it's just this like that little section that was just part of like a five minute fill, you know, sure. a solo section. And mate, sure. I went through so much, every jazz record, you know, <laughs> trying to find that bit. Cause I wanted it. That, that's what I wanted to use as the sort of the skit to get into that beat. I wanted to play all the drumming. And then when it got to that bit, just loop it. And yeah. yeah. And I thought that would be killer. Well, as you can hear, if you've heard the album, I never found the bloody bit of uh, drums. Um, it could have been, I did it at my mate's house, so it might be one of his records, but I even got him to go That's through all fun. his <laughs> buddy jazz drummer records. Uh, and yeah, we, we never found it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, it's like needle in the haystack, isn't it? It is, mate. It was like literally, it was well, two seconds, but I wanted to kind of show that you can. And I have a few times got some really nice little sort of, you know, bits and and before well before the advent of the virtual drum kits they were a great source of like multi-velocity drums because quite often you get would you use stuff like uh recycle i never i know i never used that back in the day no i know that was a big thing especially like drum and bass and all that but loads of people were on it but i think that's when we were just firmly in the we weren't in the computer even there when, when recycle was a thing, but yeah, with, with with some of these sort of you know freestyling drum records, that's like the first time you could get like a snare played individually, you know, with yeah, with ten different ten different and, and little rolls as well. Because... Yeah, rolls, kicks. So you know, I, I, yeah, did quite a few sort of uh, drum drums using those kind of chops and trying to make my own little virtual kits and even now it's like it would probably sound kind of dope i'm still up to maybe you know maybe by volume three or four of the uh ultimate fakes and beats i might be up to i might be sort of layering a few very subtle um 
real drums underneath the actual virtual drums. I don't know, I think that could be a thing to sort of... Once I've ex fully exhausted every kit and sound that I can get out of addictive drums too. Um, so you're, you're a big fan of library records. Um, if... Is there like a, a particular sound or style that they haven't quite got yet in in these sort of virtual um, sound libraries? Like, um, um, is, yeah, is there anything like you wish that they would put out more of? Yes, there's one thing I would pay probably a couple of hundred quid for easily. Uh, it's it's for me. It's the number one. You know, if I could get this, I would just, well, I, I I wouldn't want to come out of the studio for months. And that is, I want someone to accurately create um, that California sort of vocal harmonies. That's what I want. Yeah, sort of um, vocal shades and tones, if you know that one, the Barbara Moore, all that kind of stuff. Okay, well, thanks for, for speaking to us today. Um, what are your social media links? Where can people find you and where can they buy your music? I am on, well, Facebook. Uh, Specs is my just personal one and I kind of use that more so. Um, or Specs, aka Barry Beats or One Way of Barry Beats, aka Specs. Same with the, um, the Instagram I think it's Sizepecs, aka Barry Beats. Uh, basically, just chuck it into Google. You should find it. And my YouTube channel is just Sizepecs at youtube.com or something like that. <laughs> um, but that's where, yeah, you'll see all the tutorials that I've done recently as Barry and there's like sort of digging challenges that I've done, the rhythm roulette thing. Um, and yeah lots of little nuggets hopefully to inspire people seems you know people seem to gleam something from it <laughs> um oh they're fantastic videos like i yeah absolutely love them cheers mate thank you um yeah and well i'm working on a few ex i've got a few other things in the pipeline i'm going to sort of do continue the uh the fakes and beats because that's well surprised me i mean well in less than a week, it's actually sold more than my album, which took a year to do. So it's kind of like there's obviously uh, I wasn't going to sort. I wasn't sure which way it would go. Whether sort of I'd have enough people who make music, sort of as uh, my sort of fan base, um, to warrant doing it, or whether people just actually wanted to hear more of my music. But obviously, they don't want to hear my music. They just want to. Um, what I was trying to work out is whether or not people have found your beats. Or the the new the new um, sort of sample tour, yeah, from from that video or from oh, other man. places or I, I'm trying to work that very same thing. Out. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, I've put it. I haven't even stuck it on an Instagram yet. I've, I've, I think I've alluded to it on Facebook. I mean, the problem with me and probably a lot of producers in the similar boat who do it all themselves, who've got very little time to work on stuff, is. You know, you work on the product, and when you've actually got it out there, you know, you, you sometimes don't get a time to promote it's the it. The worst thing or, about doing it yourself. Yeah, and then even when it comes to the album, I did promote that quite. You know, I did put a lot of effort into promoting it, but 
and then by the end of it, you're thinking, oh God, people are begging me for more videos, and it's like I I I, I can't actually talk about my album anymore. I've, I've I've done enough videos and quirky little bits and bobs, and the Diamond D thing was the last thing. I was like, right, that's it now. You know, that's fine. Um, and but yeah, I, are you going to put it on vinyl? The um, drum breaks. The drum breaks. No, no. I think no, no. Just keep okay. it. Keep it in the digital realm. I mean, um, maybe if I've, you know, by the time I do five five volumes, I could then maybe do a 12 of all of them. Without Would you the just do hits. drums or you think about doing um, other parts? Right. Well, this is, yeah, interesting, man, because it's a strange thing because I kind of, I don't have an issue as such with people using sample packs, but I do try and, yeah, I mean, I kind of, try and encourage people to be creative and do their own thing. I mean, my whole thing is like, I'm telling people extract breaks, you know, be inspired by breaks, try and sort of, you know, you don't have to, like me, I don't necessarily pluck everything out of fresh air. It's just like, but you know, I, I'm very much inspired by old music and old grooves and want to recreate that. And I'm trying to tell people to do that or, or sample and chop up these things and do interesting stuff with it. So it kind of flies a bit against that if I was just to come up with like my own little loops and my own thing, I could do it, but I'm just thinking, I don't know. It's like, it's, it would be a different audience. Do you know what I mean? It's like sure. by doing the drums, I'm still catering to like the hardcore proper beat heads who obviously you're going to get the, the, the really highfalutin like anoraks who like won't touch anything unless it's an original pressing of the 45 um and fair enough that's great if that's if that's your thing knock knock your socks off but at the end of the day i'm just after people who want to sort of get some dope drums pretty cheap get started you know i've given them the the tools there to to take all the in individual ones and sort of create your own sort of funk drum kits you know pretty much for three or four quid um so that's what i i, I i'm just i suppose with my channel i do want to keep it to the true to the ethos of me just trying to inspire the best sort of like music and just pushing the barriers a little bit and just you know with great hip-hop and funk and soul and all that stuff so yeah i'm probably going to avoid it for now whether you know i've i'm looking at other channels with other companies i might sort of do things on the side for other people um but i think with my audience i kind of sort of respect them to a level that i don't know i wouldn't expect them to to go out there and just loop stuff that I've done, you know what I mean? Because the way I look at it is just when people do that, it's like, are you not kind of paranoid? There's going to be another five, ten other tracks out there. Exactly. Like the splice is really big at the moment. Yeah, I know. But yeah. I, I just find that. I mean, I I, I don't know because we sample stuff, right? I mean, yeah, we do use other people's music. But in... there's something sort of not fraudulent, but I don't know. If if you're just sampling something that, I mean, I've I've listened to a few things in Splice, but there's nothing that's knocked my socks off. You know what I mean? If maybe if there was stuff on there, maybe if like, I don't know, Galt, Galt McDermott's <laughs> nephew had sort of just come with some insane, crazy, really high fluted grooves sure. with weird tripped out instruments that sound totally raw like an old record then yeah maybe i mean i think the thing is for me 
it's like if you can't make it yourself then yeah i'll, I'll take it you know maybe full sort of you know orchestras and... yeah orchestras playing amazing like lalo Schifrin sort of like string sections i might oh on talking about lalo Schifrin, right so for, for years that was my holy grail of what i wanted to be able to do and i don't uh-huh. think doors can do anything lush in that way or if it does it's going to sound exactly the same right um and i remember asking like all the music teachers i had at university like how the f- how the hell am i gonna do something like a Lalo Schiffer and string. None of them could tell me anything. Like it, it was a bad university course to be, to be honest. Right. But that, that was like for a long time, my dream, you know? Yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah. I, I, I think I've given up on it. Well, it's those slides, isn't it? I suppose. I think it can be done, man. For sure. Do you know a guy called Alex Ball? No. Oh man! Google that guy. He's he's got a channel on on YouTube. Such a great chap. He started off. I mean, I think I was doing quite well on my channel. I had like five five or six thousand subscribers, and he 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 liked what I was doing. I went mental over the stuff he was doing, and now he's just been prolific. And he's on I don't know like eighty odd thousand subscribers now. He's, he's just but then he's been prolific. I don't know if he's just doing it full time now, but mate, he is incredible. The thing that originally I mean this will blow your socks off, man. Actually he was one of the real inspirations for me when I saw his videos to make me realise that actually you can do stuff in the box that will sound like an old record. Now, he's done... His first videos were like... He's done one where he's taken Bernard Herrmann's Psycho score and recreated it, just, you know... Oh, wow. And I, like, I, I love doing recre- like recreations, I think, is the best tool for learning yeah, anything. Yeah. And I, I still do it. I do it today with, like, modern pop songs as well as, like, classic hip-hop joints. So I'll try and... Like, I spent last week trying to recreate miss fat booty um, okay per, you know perfectly and yeah. oh, i got i got really fucking close to it to be honest i'm really Send proud it, of it man. I, wanna, I'm not, I wanna hear it i'm not gonna do a video on it i've decided yeah but um it's it's such a great tool for learning your craft oh totally because you don't have to like really concentrate on the uh you know creatively coming up with new arrangements or whatever it's just literally you're just creating on you're just trying to get the and sound it, and the... pure learning and it's just like and then you can work out exactly where their heads were when they were creating it mm-hmm. so it might take me like four hours to recreate something which you could tell they probably knocked up in an yeah. hour or two uh-huh. but that's fine because there's a lot of like you know fun schooling and you're doing it your own you can do anything you want to you know you pick something that you want to, to learn yeah rather watching a tutorial of like how to I don't know. Well, I, I would say, man, check out Alex Ball Music's channel, and he's done like he's done like uh, he he started off. He did loads of fifties music, you know, like the sort of early Carry On type music. Okay, um, that my utterly spiffing guide to light music. That's the one. Brilliant. That and seriously, you, you listen to that, and you will go. Your jaw will drop. And at that moment, when I heard those. I was like, right, we can do. That's it. You can do anything now. You, you know. Uh, oh, uh, uh, qu- quickly as far as really good synths for, um, which sound real. 
yes. or sound. Uh, the OBX1 synth oh, is, is nuts. You've reminded me, man. Is that got really terrible presets? It does have terrible presets. Yes. It also has a, it has a band called Famous, <sighs> which has actual really well-done recreations of stuff. Yeah, look, a friend of mine, it's been out for years, right? Cause... Yeah, yeah, although I think it, it was buggy for a lot, like it would crash my door all the time. Okay, yeah, a friend uh, of mine, he's like best mates with Aphex Twin, he's like a real sort of um, synth nerd, like electronica guy. Again, he was like struggling with plug-in synths, and I remember, this is, yeah, going back five or six years, he was going mate i found it i've finally found a synth <laughs> that sounds like a real synth it's it's amazing it did the but he said like you've got to mess with it because he said the presets are absolutely awful you you know until you start messing with it but it is the obx yeah i remember obx one that's what i need man yeah you thanks man because wait wait opx maybe it's called i'm pretty sure it's, it, it rings sure that it's totally OBX. rings no, a bell, no, no. Man. yeah opx is the name of the vst yeah and there's videos of it on, of all the people going through the banks as well. So that's probably worth checking out. And again, that through that synth warmer would be pretty, pretty, close. pretty close, yeah. Um, and you know what? There was a really good EMI um, synth VST. Right. That sounded nuts. Yeah. But, but was impossible to control. <laughs> like it See, wasn't hate... very good as far as an interface but the sound of it was just good really... for like weird... and it was old as well it was like you know it isn't a new VST by any means yeah um I'll find out what it is and I'll I'll, um, I'll email you the information or something wicked um, yeah they're starting to get that and I guess if you tried the Arturia stuff oh yeah yeah that's what I use man I mean I use mainly the Arturia since which are great man you know there's, there's... At the end of the day, do they load in well for you? Yeah, they're all good, man. And it's snappy because mine take a little while to load in. No, my, I mean, my computers. I mean, I've got to love it, man. It's well, it's like nine years old. Thankfully, it was a pretty souped up, like two and a half grander when I bought it, which obviously isn't going to even buy you the monitor nowadays. But uh, sure, yeah. I just think, oh, what am I going to do if it goes? And, you know, I know, like, at this age, it's it's not going to go on forever, is it? But, yeah, I just wonder... Cause, well, you'd be surprised what you could do now with the ch- a, a cheap PC. Well, that's what I think I'll have to go the PC. You know, there's no way I can afford, like, a... And I don't particularly want to have, like, a top-of-the-range MacBook as my studio computer for somebody. I don't know, something just doesn't sit right for me i know a lot sure. of people do their beats on mac on, on macbooks but yeah i don't know i kind of keep that for the djing and just work stuff but uh so um what what's your um what's your new uh album project and and uh what what formats is it on yeah so and yeah like the end of last year finally got to uh put my long-awaited uh instrumental album out um two sides of barry which the concept being with the two sides we've obviously talked in in length about sort of trying to recreate samples and breaks so the b side of the album is just no samples whatsoever where the the a side is all sampled um 
So the A side's probably tracks that have been lying around for the last few years that have kind of not been gathering dust. Um, whereas, yeah, the, all the newer stuff is kind of like on the B side where I've been dabbling with all this new crazy virtual instrument technology and the drums and everything. So, yeah, if anyone wants to hear sort of like, you know, how I've interpolated in, or uh, interpreted, <laughs> you know. Interpreted. Yeah. Basically, it's all all on display on the b-side of, of the album um which you can obviously you can download on my band camp i think we we'll give the uh, details at the end uh, on the band camp and it's on vinyl as well finally a couple of months ago it came out on vinyl on king of the beats records so if you go to kingofthebeats.com you can cop the wax I mean, it's been selling pretty well we're all pretty happy with how it's how it's been going um he's still got plenty and he's still sending them out in lockdown so yeah hit up uh, king of the beats if you want to grab a, a copy on wax and it's on spotify and all the other other platforms as well um but people should listen to it on vinyl they shouldn't be listening to it on spotify go and buy it i was listening to it today it's great yeah you know what much fun this listen how whatever makes you happy you know if you're happy that <laughs> <laughs> downloading it on a on a you know first edition ipod um fill your boots or you know record it record it onto cassette and, <laughs> and stick it on your midi hi-fi um or use a cassette plug-in um yeah so yeah but no i mean the ironic thing is you know the the album took sort of well probably a good year of getting together and putting together all the bits and making it all gel and mixing and mastering it whereas the drum album that i've just put out the the well the drum sample pack drum pack that i've just put out ultimate fakes and beats took like a couple of weeks to knock together um and it's already outsold the album <laughs> so and it's on the way to making more money than the album's made for me so yeah expect plenty more ultimate fakes and beats i think it's <laughs> the is the key there <laughs> okay so thanks for uh thanks for speaking with us and um i'll catch you guys soon Check the techniques.